0: Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young.
1: You hold on to your mate, that's who you hold on to. You hold her, you hold him. Sometimes she'll have to hold you, you can't hold her. And sometimes you can't hold her and he can't hold you, but God can hold both of you. We hold on to the sacred covenant of
0: marriage. The truth is you can have unity in your marriage. Welcome to the Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young shares his message, Thou Shalt Cut the Apron Strings, and shares how to biblically build unity with your spouse. Stay with us. The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young begins in just a moment. Now, here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Thou Shalt Cut the Apron Strings.
1: Marriage. The original design of marriage. You know the story of Adam and Eve? There was Adam. It's not good for man to be alone. It doesn't mean it's wrong to be single. It's wrong to be lonely. God doesn't intend for anyone to be lonely. And Adam was naming everything. He noticed there was two of everything, except that there were not two like him. So he was looking for his counterpart, the rest of himself, and Eve appeared. And I don't know what you guys think, but I think God did a super job with designing a woman. Don't you? I mean, he, Phi Beta Kappa in that. You can't question God about the design of the female. And Adam was excited about it, and God said to him a basic premise Of truth. And that is Genesis chapter number two, verse 24. You've heard it a lot of times, but we have to go back to the basics. Verse 24 For this call shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now if you notice in the margin of your Bible, something that's rather unusual. Do you know how many times that very verse is found in the Bible? Five times, five times. Now when God says something once, we sit up and say, you know, that's important, it's in the Bible. When God says something twice, we say, you know, put a star by it, I need to go back and study that again. When God says something three times, we say, you know, God is trying to get through to us. There must be something there I'm not getting. When God says something four times, you say, God, you know, surely you don't mean to just lay it on us One, two, three, four. Oh yes. And when God says something five times, ladies and gentlemen, you know what he's saying? He's saying, don't miss it. He's saying, look, 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 wake up, quit dumbing down, figure it out. This is the way marriage works, okay? There are three operative words in this verse. Leave, cleave, and flesh. That's the three operative words. And God says it five times. This is the way a marriage functions. You cannot name any situation, any problem in any marriage on the planet that has ever taken place that is taking place now and will take place tomorrow that didn't come from the husband and the wife not understanding the 24th verse of Genesis or as it is written in Corinthians or it's written in Ephesians, it's written in Matthew and it's written in Mark. Every marital problem, challenge, separation, divorce stems from the husband and wife simply not understanding and putting into practice Genesis chapter 24. You don't have to wonder all over the Bible saying, boy, I wonder what God says about this and about that. Practice Genesis 24 and your marriage will sizzle. It'll absolutely sizzle. And This is sort of how it works. Here's a man. Here's a woman. Now, all of a sudden, the man moves toward the woman and the m- woman moves a little toward the man. The man moves a little closer to the woman. This is dating. A little <laughs> closer. I-, I didn't want to lose anybody. A little closer to the woman. A- and the woman steps away and the man moves faster and the woman steps away. The man steps back. The woman moves forward. Everybody identifying with courtship here? But finally, marriage takes place. And the Bible says the husband is to leave, the wife is to leave, and they are to cleave. And the word cleave is our word for glue. Actually, it should be super glue, but I don't trust myself to handle super glue. I will tell you that categorically. It is super glue. And what happens when when the man leaves and the woman leaves and they become one flesh, an interesting thing happens. They cleave to one another and then you have a divine marriage math. It is called one plus one equals one. One flesh, unity, one agenda. You've been to marriage when they have what they call the unity candle, you know, and they have two candles burning and a big fat candle in the middle. middle. At the right time, the bride takes her candle, the groom takes his candle, and they light the middle candle, and so many times they blow out their candles? Poor theology. That's not what happens because the bride is still the bride, right? The groom is still the groom, but the two have become one and they are one in this sense, but they're still the male and they're still the female, right? So you need to leave the candles burning, because the individuality is there, but yet the unity is there. How does a unity take place? It can only take place if there is, first of all, leaving. And then we know the first thing you do is understand what do you leave. There's some things you let go of. There's some things you hold on to. You cleave, you grab, you maintain. And if every couple would understand that which you leave and that which you hold on to, every marriage would come alive biblically the way God intended and designed for marriage to be. Now, the first question is, what do you leave? What did the scripture say? Leave father and mother. That's what the passage was about there concerning David and his wife, Michael, and their father-in-law, Saul. Now, they had a tough relationship going on. Saul gave his daughter, Michael, to David because he felt that in prescribing the dowry that David would have to come up with, which would be to kill a hundred Philistines, that surely one of those Philistines would kill David and get whom Saul thought was his rival out of his hair, eliminate him. That's the reason he gave his wife, his daughter. But that didn't work. And then all the way through their marriage, you read it in Samuel 18, 1 Samuel 18, 1 Samuel 19, it's an interesting story of how King Saul, the father-in-law, made his daughter Michael choose between him, her father, and her husband David. Now this happens all the time, but in the Bible there's a lot of good illustrations of in-laws. There is Naomi the wonderful mother-in-law, mother-in-love who loved Ruth and Ruth loved Naomi. What a beautiful picture of an in-law relationship. And there's Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses. And he took Moses to one side and said, Moses, you are working yourself to death You are a poor leader, a poor administrator. This is how you do it. One, two, three, four. And Moses listened to his father-in-law, followed the advice of his father-in-law, and made his life and his service much, much more effective. So in the Bible, there are good illustrations of mothers-in-law and fathers-in-law and parents-in-law that function. But I can tell you, you will never be an effective in-law unless you let your children leave now what do you mean I'm talking about cutting the apron strings when a son or daughter get married they leave father and mother and their highest priority is now with their mate but parents we have to let our children leave we have to cut those counseling strings know what I mean well, I tell you, I know exactly what I mean personally. You just bite your lip. You say, "Well, I want to say one thing." I <laughs> listen, if they went only, <sighs> don't do it. Don't say a word. Cut the counseling strings. And sons and daughters, when there's a little problem at home, don't call and ask mom or dad. Boy, you know what happened with this one or that one or the other? Don't listen. Our daughters-in-law know if they call Joe, Beth, and myself, whatever the issue is, I'm already on their side against my boys <laughs> every single time. I'm telling you, you got to cut those counseling strings. If you're ever going to be a counselor or a wise advisor to your sons and to your daughters-in-law or your sons-in-law, you have to be quiet and listen. To all in-laws, I would say back up shut up, pray a lot, listen, encourage, and you'll wake up one day and you'll be a parent that both parties will genuinely love and listen to, and you'll have an entree there. But especially mothers-in-law. I I, I read about a, a farmer who married a beautiful young girl, and they took her to the farm, and they were married about a month, and her mother came to visit, and she stayed and stayed, and while she was there, she said, oh, the house ought to look like this, and let me help you with this, and she was giving advice, she was nagging, She and when they would be a little sensitive, she'd play the martyr role, and she was manipulative, and she was everything you wouldn't want in a mother-in-law, and finally one day, she was walking with the young farmer out to the barn, and She was going out there to show him how the cattle ought to be arranged and she knew everything about farming, everything about cattle. But as she was walking by one of the stalls out of the clear blue sky, the the farmer's mule just kicked her right in the head and she died on the spot. And so they had the funeral, the farmer's mother-in-law there and after the service was over, he was standing by the grave and friends were coming by speaking to the young farmer and the pastor was over here and he noticed something very unusual was taking place. He noticed that when a woman would come and speak to the young farmer there, that he would always shake his head, yes, and say something to the woman who would speak to him. But when a man would speak to him, every time he would shake his head no and say something to the man. And this went on. With the men, always no. With the women, always yes. And finally, when the service was over and everybody left, the pastor went over, to the young farmer, and says, you know, I I just wondered, as they were coming up uh, speaking to you, what what was being said? And and with the women, it was yes, men, no. He said, well, the women would come up and they would say, it was certainly a terrible tragedy. And I would say, yes, it really was. And said, the men would come up and say, can I borrow your mule? And I would say, no, it's booked up for a month. (laughs) (laughs) Jokes about mothers-in-law. They they just go on and on. And if there were not elements of truth there, we wouldn't laugh at it. You know, here's three guys are in counseling. And uh, the, the, the counselor says to them, what if you knew you had only four weeks to live? What would you do? One guy said, that's easy. I'd go to Las Vegas, I'd take all my money, I'd just have a good time, I'd spend it. You can't take it with you. And that's how uh, uh, Epicurean would respond. And another guy said, what would you do if you had four weeks to live? He said, well, I'll tell you, I'd go out and serve people. I would help people, I would minister to people, I would reach out to people. He said, well, that's a response. Ask the other guy what you would do if he had only four weeks to live. He said, I would go and move in with my mother-in-law and I would stay with her every minute of every day for all those four weeks. He said, you know, that's a little odd. Why would you move in with your mother-in-law? He said, that would be the four longest weeks of my life. (laughs) So what am I saying? I have had a mother-in-law and a father-in-law and I am a father-in-law. Parents, back up from your children, and also not only cut the counseling strings, cut the economic strings. That doesn't mean you do not help them, but don't put strings to your economic help and your assistance that you give. Don't manipulate, don't play the martyr. Oh, you haven't called your dad and I are hurt. Leave when you get married. Doesn't mean you don't honor your parents. Oh no, but leave and parents let them leave. And this is what this verse says. There's some things you need to let go of. You need to let go of. And the first thing is parents. The next thing, if you're going to have a successful marriage, not only leave parents, but also you have to leave people. Contrary to Willie Nelson and Juliola Gracious, all the girls you've loved before, forget them. Uh, Put them behind you. You know, the problem is you have a a former mate or a former uh, boyfriend or a former girlfriend, and you say, you know, Bill is in so much trouble. We need to go have lunch with him. He's, after all, a fine guy. Nonsense! You're not the one to help Bill who's such a fine guy. Don't put your mate in that kind of situation. Don't do it! It's foolish. you got to leave people in your past. you got to leave that friend who, who dominates so much of your time and, and interferes with your marriage. You've got to leave some people there. You leave your parents, you leave some people, some relationships there, because your mate now is number one, supreme, in competition with no one else. And you shouldn't be in competition with the parents. You couldn't be in competition with any friends or anybody else because they are number one. So you got to leave some people. And, and the problem is when you don't leave, say, another boyfriend or girlfriend, you have emotional attachment, what happens when so you begin to compare and say, you know... Boy, if I had married Bill, he wasn't all bad. I I, I just look back, boy, I made a mistake, and look what I married. I mean, you you know, you, you have comparison. You have the green grass syndrome. And you look over there and say, boy, if I were married to her, or boy, if I were married to him, let me tell you something about green grass. There is no green grass. In every field, there's beggar lice and and blighted spot and cuckabirds. And the way you have grass to grow green is you water it. So you water and cultivate your relationship with your mate. In order to do that, you may have to leave some people behind. And Julio and Willie were wrong. Forget them. Move on. You have to leave some people behind. Also, you have to leave, I think, you have to leave some problems behind. There, there, there's some problems back there. And yet, you can't take them with you. You have to put them to one side. A lot of times people get married and they get down here and they see the wife and the husband and they see all of these, this guilt that's just wrapped up in their lives and they can't function, they can't love, they haven't been loved, they're abused, they're scarred, and they just carry around all this baggage all the way through their marriage. Leave it behind. And when this baggage is carried around, it affects your conversation, your communication, your sexual relationship, it affects everything about your marriage. And if you are like that here today and you've been dragging around all this baggage, oh, I made such a bad mistake or I did this wrong in high school or, oh, I'll never forget this back there. Read 1 John 1:9 one more time. If we confess our sin, he is able and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse all of our trash. So don't leave here this morning taking anything with you from the past. Confess, repent, and move on. Leave it. Leave it. Leave it. How important that is. And sometimes you got to leave places as well. Uh, one mate says, boy, in my high school, it was the most wonderful thing in the world, or, or back in my hometown, and oh, back at the, the university, back at the college when I was here, it was Listen, you've forgotten all the bad side of that and your mate was not there with you. Don't keep bringing all of that up. So there are some things to have an effective marriage you need to leave. You leave parents. You leave people that's in your past. You leave problems that's within your past. You leave places that's within your past. Not only do you leave, you let go of some things. This verse also says, you hold on to some things, right? You cleave to some things. What do you hold on to? You hold on to the reality of the covenant of marriage. That's what you hold on to. When you stood at the altar and the pastor said, do you so promise to love and cherish, to honor and sustain him or her in sickness as in health, in poverty as in wealth, in the bad that may darken your days and the good that may light your ways, Do you so promise, so help you God, I do. So many people said, I do and don't. What did that mean? A covenant took place. It's a man and a woman sat down at a table with God and they convinced God and their family and their friends that they wanted to spend their life exclusively together. And Jesus Christ put his arm around them and said, yes, and God witnessed it, and that is a covenant, a sacred covenant. It's not just a piece of paper. That's a minor part of it. Somebody says, well, I got married to the justice of peace. You know, (laughs) let me tell you, if you got married to the justice of peace, I can tell you one thing, you haven't gotten much justice and you don't have much peace. You operate your marriage just on a civil, legal relationship and you may stay together, but your marriage will not be dynamic. God's formula gives love and meaning and depth and significance and sizzle and and a, and a creativity in marriage, only God's formula. Therefore, we need to hold on to the sacred reality, the covenant of marriage. What else do we hold on to. We hold on to the principles of God. We seem to always get back to this. We hold on to the principles in this book. It's the manual for marriage. This one verse is enough to get anybody through any crisis. You say, whoa, my marriage is so far gone. It's not so far gone. You give the pieces to God. That's what you do. Well, I'll have to, well, whatever it is, do it. I'll be so, whatever it is, give the pieces to God, and God can do a supernatural work with any marriage if we put the principles of the book in practice. But you know what so many of us are like? We're like the group that God told Ezekiel about. God said to Ezekiel, and if you'll just look over there with me, Ezekiel, chapter number. 33, verse 30 following, Ezekiel 33, 30 following. Ezekiel was talking to the people and laying on people principles of life. Principles of life. And God said, Ezekiel, the people are going to listen, but this is what's going to happen. God was preparing Ezekiel for the results of his teaching listen to what God said to Ezekiel, the audience would be like. Verse 30, chapter 33. But as for you, son of man, that's Ezekiel, your fellow citizens who talk about you by the walls and the doorways of the houses, speak to one another, each to his brother, saying, come now and hear what the message is which comes forth from the Lord. In other words, Come to church with me. I want you to hear our pastor and our choir. They have a word from God, and it is so wonderful up there. That's what they say here. He says, the people say, come hear a word from the God Lord, and they come to you as people come, and all sit before you, my people, and hear your words, and they do not do them. For they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth, and their heart goes after their gain. And behold, you are to them like a sensual song sung by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not practice them. So when it comes to pass, as it surely will, then they will know that a prophet has been in their midst. What is God saying to Ezekiel? It's what he's saying to us today. We come and hear the truth of God. You may go out and say, nice sermon, pastor. Wasn't the choir magnificent? Come, good friend, go to church with me and we worship and hear God. But like when Ezekiel taught God's word, so many people left. And it's like they'd heard a sensual song and they'd been entertained, but they do not take the principles and put them into practice in the middle of their life. Sounds like us, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound like us? So I am saying, hold on to the principles of God in the Bible. That's something we hold on to. That's something that'll make your marriage work. And finally, what's the third thing you hold on to? You hold on to your mate, that's who you hold on to. You hold her, you hold him. Sometimes she'll have to hold you, you can't hold her. Sometimes, it'll be the other way around, she'll have to hold you. And sometimes you can't hold her and he can't hold you, but God can hold both of you. Hold on to your mate. And ladies and gentlemen, if we'll simply heed Genesis 24, If we'll let go of those things we need to let go of, (laughs) I mean, we're we're beginning to get together. We we let go of parents. We let go of people in our past. We we let go with problems in our past. Uh, We let go with places in our past. What do we hold on to? We hold on to the sacred covenant of marriage. What do we hold on to? We hold on to the principles of God in the book. What do we hold on to? We hold on to our mates. And the result of this, guess what the result is? Unity, one flesh. I remember years ago being in the mountains of North Carolina and I looked down, I could see a stream, a little river coming down this way I could see another stream coming down this way and I noticed from where I was seated, I was bear hunting, by the way, hoping one would not show up. But uh, where I was seated, these two streams came together and they were nice little streams, trickling little streams until they came together and there was turbulence where they came together. I mean, there, water was shooting up. I mean, one was bringing the debris from this mountain and one was bringing clarity here and there was turbulence there, but you could walk down that stream where two became one about five miles and the stream was clear and clean and quiet and harmonious and flowing along. When two become one, many times there is turbulence there, but you leave the right stuff You hold on to the right stuff. A wonderful thing happens. There is oneness. Now, let me ask you, what happens? What happens when you do not leave and you do not cleave? What happens in this relationship? When there is separation, when there is divorce, when there is brokenness, what happens? That happens, doesn't it? Many of you have gone through this. It's a divorce. It's a divorce. Now, what happened to this divorce? You see, there's part of the pink over here. A part of your wife will go with you the rest of your life. The rest of your life. A part of your husband will go with you the rest of your life. The rest of your life. Because when two become one physically, emotionally, and marriage takes place, when there is a severance of that, there is always pain. There's always heartache. There's always problems. Because you look over here on the pink and a part of the blue, that may be part of your child. And over here on the man, that's another part of your child because in any divorce, children, whether they're 50 years old, whether they're 15 years old, five years old, or five months old, they get hurt. Now, remember what I said in the beginning? If you've been through this, we could stand and about 40 to 50% of us this morning would say, I understand what you're talking about, Pastor. I understand what you're talking about. And I would say to you, the greatest thing about that is God can give all of us a second and third chance. And there can be a new cleaving. The scars are there. The pain is there. The problems, the challenge is there because the the tearing away has taken place. But God in his grace can give a new beginning if we remarry on biblical principles and we live now on the basis of Genesis chapter number 1, verse number 24. And we know what to let go of, what to leave. And we know what to grab and what to hold on to, what to cleave to. And when this takes place, there is oneness, there is unity, there is growth, there is a biblical marriage. So you can't leave here this morning any longer and say, you know, I just don't understand this or I don't understand that. Put these basic principles into practice wherever you are, single, divorced, married again, struggling in a marriage, going through periods of trial in your marriage. Put these principles together and I guarantee you there will be oneness, there will be chemistry, there will be joy there'll be a rekindling of the fires of love. All I know is it works every single time. That's all I know. Every single
0: Well, before we leave you today, Dr. Young is here to answer a couple of questions coming out of the message we've just heard. Well, Pastor Young, the process of leaving and cleaving, does that mean that you sever your relationship with your parents? Well, not really, Wayne. It it means that you go
1: into another stanza of your relationship with your parents and go into another genre of that relationship. Uh, Let me be personal. My wife's dad, for example was as fine and as Christian and as godly a man that I have ever known. Hmm. Now what if when we first got married, I was 22, Joe Beth was 21, she was sending me through seminary. What if she had compared me every day with her dad? I would have been in, our marriage wouldn't have lasted till I got out of graduate school. But she didn't. Somehow, in her wisdom, she knew that, you know, Edwin Young is not G.B. Landrum. And never will be. But uh, that happens a lot of times where a guy subconsciously or sometimes consciously, you know, my mom would never do that. Or my dad, you know, would Mm. never say anything like that. That's devastating. It really is. It's a part of that cutting of those apron strings. It's a part of leaving and cleaving, recognizing that. Uh, your dad and your mom and their relationship is unique and you and your mate's relationship is unique and therefore you build on that relationship and God will take care of the maturing and God will take care of the joy that he'll give when we live according to those immutable but beautiful Mm -hmm. biblical principles of
0: marriage. Mm -hmm. Well for the parents um, I think it's helpful to understand this that you're Yes, you're saying goodbye to, uh, you know, that parent-child relationship in one sense, but in another sense, you're gaining so much more. You you are, Wayne. And
1: also, the other side of this coin we ought to talk about, the parents. The parents have to let go of that child. I mean, this is a part at the marriage altar. Who gives this woman to be married to her man? (laughs) Her mother and I have been practicing that that for (laughs) a while. That's not just a perfunctory thing. That's realism. That's biblical realism. Her mother and I do. And that's what the parents have to do. So not only do, do the son the son, and the daughter have to leave and cleave, in one sense, the parents have to back up also. And that's the other end of this problem that could cause really, really difficulties in marriages.
0: This is so very helpful and so practical. Thank you, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. We hope today's message has encouraged you to build your life on the proven truth of God's Word. Winning Walk is a listener supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.